0: Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Granite Talk. My name is Tim Finan and I will be your host for today's episode. My guest this week is PJ Legendess from the 603 Brewery up in Londonderry, New Hampshire. PJ is the regional sales manager and as we will soon learn he also has the opportunity to dabble in many other aspects of the business. Uh, Thank you PJ for talking to us.
1: Thanks for for having me Tim. Uh, No
0: problem at all. I th- I think we met. Do
1: you do you recall that we met? I, bel- I I think we did. I think we met was it about the Milford Pumpkin Festival at one time maybe?
0: Yeah, I think th- I think you came up with um Morgan uh, with Morgan and we and uh met at Union Coffee, I think, and we discussed the uh the festival.
1: Great cup of Joe.
0: Yep. I exactly. love Union.
1: Yeah, so do we all. Are you from the area? I'm uh born and raised in Milford, although I traveled around the country a bit, but I, I ended up graduating from Milford High School.
0: Oh, I, I didn't know that. I uh, That's neat. What year did you graduate? If you uh, two, me? Yeah, 2003. 2003. Oh, cool. So that was definitely post-MASH. <laughs> yeah, it
1: was. Yep. No, but I mean, my family's been in town forever. So I kind of, I'm a, I'm a Milfordite through and through. <laughs>
0: oh, great. Great. So at some point during this, we're going to talk about the Pumpkin Festival. So um, Perfect.
1: I look forward okay. to that.
0: That's good. So we'll get to it. So, so yeah. So why don't we just start with you? So, um, so you're up at 603. How long have you been up there?
1: Been with 603 a little over two years now.
0: Okay. And um, and you're the regional sales manager.
1: Correct. The, yes. Yeah.
0: So what is that? What, what does a sales manager do? Oh, I business guess
1: business? It, it depends on, uh, you know, every brewery and business kind of treats their positions differently. Here at 603, uh, I handle our uh, wholesaler management. I dabble with production as far as, you know, you know, tentative volumes and figuring things out. And then also I deal with our key accounts, uh, larger grocery chains, um, high volume uh, uh, on premise or, you know, restaurant accounts. And also just, you know, any, any accounts that I can, you know, hit on a you know weekly basis. I mean.
0: Mm. So that's interesting. So you deal with like, do you, do you folks have a distributor or do you do it all yourself?
1: Oh no, we, we have uh, two, two distributors in New Hampshire. So we are uh, with, we are, AB aligned in New Hampshire. So we are with the AB Houses, so we are with Bellavance Beverage uh out of uh Hooksit and then uh New Hampshire Distributors that's out of Concord. Okay.
0: Yeah, is not New Hampshire Distributors aren't they more of a craft brew type thing?
1: Uh New Hampshire Distributors and uh, and Bellavance Beverage both have uh the same craft beer portfolio, but they were really on the uh cutting edge when craft beer was just kind of coming into New Hampshire. Uh, both of those companies were, you know, actively searching for uh, craft breweries locally and regionally to uh, have in their portfolio. And mm-hmm. uh, luckily for for six hundred three, you know, we we were one of the few that was uh, chosen from them. I mean, this is going back; we've been with them six to seven years now, I believe. I mean, we were pretty young in our, in our infancy stage when we launched uh, distribution. We just knew it was right. part of our business model, and that's how we wanted to uh, go to market was through a distributor, not self distributing. So uh-huh. that's uh how we've always run things.
0: Oh, cool. That's interesting. Um so I didn't re- re- so I guess cuz you threw me when you said you you deal with the grocery stores but but you're just, you're like the sales sales So they still distribute. You don't deliver to the grocery store. No, either.
1: we don't deliver. So what we, what I do is I I work with uh the buyers at you know the Market Basket, Hannaford's, Walmart's, you know, Cumberland Farms, uh these these chain accounts mm-hmm. and uh, it's more long term obviously there's everything that's in these stores is in a set and it's just working with these accounts and uh, these people developing relationships with them and you know telling them about our brand and where our strengths are and how we can add value and to, to their sets in their store and hopefully you know generate dollars for them
0: mm-hmm. oh that that's that's great now where were you prior because i know you would said when we spoke earlier you said you've been in the industry yeah prior to Excel three
1: so I was uh hired into the uh this industry with a brewery uh out of Maine named Savage Brewing Company. Oh yeah. Um I was with them for, you know, a little over 2 years and uh nothing but great things to say about their business. They uh they have been in the industry for a long time. They're a re- uh, really original craft brewery. They've been around for 22 or 23 years now up in Maine. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of experience and a lot of time that they've had in market, so it was a fast paced, you know, kind of crash course on this, on this crazy industry.
0: Yeah. So what is, that's interesting. So what's the, what's competition? Like I'm sure obviously business wise you compete, but is there like a camaraderie between the breweries? Absolutely. That's I would have thought that that's why I asked the question.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it can be a little clicky at times and you, you definitely find the breweries that you interact with and do and collaborate with and associate with uh, more often than the other ones. But the great thing is, you know, beer fests offer an opportunity for uh, us employees to kind of get together and mingle with people that are in our positions and other positions from other local breweries. And, you know, that, you know, kind of breathes its own, you know, way to mm-hmm. collaborate and, you know, network and things like that. But, you know, I'd say for the most part, everybody's really great about, you know, being open and, you know, offering advice. I mean, we, other breweries in the state, you know, we'll trade hops with ingredients. Um, just you know, if somebody's running short on something or can't get something in time, so it's it's definitely beneficial to keep you know you know an, a level playing field and you know the the partnership and relationships going with breweries that you could call competition, but mm-hmm. you know we're just trying to all get our slice in a bigger pie. You know, yeah, yeah that's
0: great. You, you know, you had mentioned the pumpkin festival before when we did that. Uh, it always struck me after we're done at the end of the night. A lot of the breweries, they're going around like trading beers with each other and stuff, you know, like, of course, you know, give a six pack from Uh, one to another and stuff like that, which is really neat.
1: That's the fun thing. It it lets us also, you know, keep up to date with what they're doing, Um, you know, get to try the cool and fun stuff that the other breweries are putting out. And it's one of the benefits to working at a brewery is you almost have, you know, unlimited access to beer, but, you know, you're drinking your own beer, which is great. But it's also part of the reason that we're, you know, I think a lot of us are in this industry is we like to try different things. Yep. And being yep. able to trade, you know, even a single can or a four pack or six pack with the other breweries, you can kind of leave with a smorgasbord of cool beers to try throughout the weekend. And then some of it might be pilot batches or small batch stuff that people are looking for feedback on. So I might give somebody a six pack or a four pack and be like, hey, man, what did you think about that? You know, what, you know, was there anything that you think would be, make it more drinkable? Was there anything noticeable on that? And it's great to just receive feedback and kind of be able to play around and, you know, talk mm-hmm. to everybody and kind of get ideas from these other breweries yeah that's great and when you host
0: a beer festival you get to take a bunch home too so
1: that is also an added bonus oh, that's <laughs> so um did, did you do you
0: have any relevant education in the field or did you just kind of come into it
1: so the the oddest thing is i, I went to school for music business uh oh. and then i after that i was a uh, tour managing bands and working with bands out of Boston and a record label out of Boston. And uh, there's a lot of similarities between the music industry and trying to, you know, break a band, as, you know, it, with craft beer, it's, all it's all a lot of guerrilla marketing, how do we, you know, with minimal dollars for advertising, because we don't have the budgets, like of the big guys, how do we get our name out there and our product out there? Um, so art the, the my direct education wasn't in business but it was just in a, a music business but mm-hmm. I also got into restaurant management uh, and that's actually how I got into beer was just uh, the restaurant I worked at I was super into craft beer so I was always rotating things on our tap lines, not just like setting it and forgetting it every week I was looking for something different from our distributors. I was always going to the store to try what was new um, and then you know through that I kept meeting uh, supplier reps, which is brewery sales reps coming into uh, the bar trying to say, hey, this is coming out. I'd start developing relationships with them. Uh, They'd pass me samples. And then I figured out, I was like, this is kind of an industry that seems really intriguing to me. And uh, I was interviewing with a wholesaler at the time for a craft beer uh, rep position to kind of work their craft beer portfolio. And I had a mutual friend who uh, mentioned that Sebago Brewery out of Maine was looking for um a sales rep for new hampshire and vermont and i said i've been looking to get in the industry and they gave me my you know gave me my opening kind of took me you know off the bar and put me in the street and kind of you know let me let me take a shot at this
0: Hmm. oh that's cool that 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 sounds like a lot of fun now i think it doesn't unh have a uh, like a beer brewing program now do
1: Yeah. So they have a whole, uh, I haven't been there personally. I've just kind of heard and read about different things, but they built themselves a facility and a great lab uh, that they're allowing their students to kind of create beers. And the lab also is essential to learning about quality and consistency and, you know, making sure there's no off flavors and making sure that the products that you're putting out are, you know, on par with, is, you know, as much on par with the big guys as you can get. And that's part of the big battle with being a small brewery is you can't afford to have the million dollar labs and all the equipment that, you know, the bigger guys have. And you got to start somewhere and you can piece it kind of together as you go. But the great thing that UNH is doing is educating. And that's always mm-hmm. the biggest thing is educating people on, you know, the process of making beer than the process of making consistent and quality beer.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize it. Not not that I'm an expert by any means, but I I was really into home brewing probably fifteen twenty years ago, and I was doing it quite a bit. And you, you know, if you really want to do it well, I mean, there's a lot of science to it. You know, precise temperatures so that the you know the the proteins so not the is it the protein Yeah, the sugars break down exactly. And, yeah, and form the alcohol. And if you if you get too if the water's too hot, it gets it doesn't work out right and, no uh,
1: yeah it's 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 honestly brewing i say is you know it's equal parts artistry you know and being creative you know being a you know chef uh because you have to work with recipe development and flavor profiles and also science i mean those three oh, yeah. those are the three key things that, you know make a really good brewer or you know lend to making you, you know if you're great with science and you know and you're great with you know you have a good palate uh these are things that will definitely lend a hand to making some great beer.
0: Yeah. And it teaches you the value of cleaning things too.
1: Uh, brewing. And I, I see it here all the time. I brew, you know, being a brewer in a facility like ours is 5% brewing, 95% cleaning. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of just, you know, take everything, make sure it's sanitary. Cause we're making a consumable product at the end of the mm-hmm. day. So we want to make sure that not only is our beer quality and, you know, creative, but it's also safe and healthy for people to, you know, to ingest. I mean, you yeah. know, with, with with these live organisms like yeast and proteins that like you're talking about, you know, there's can be, you know, you can get buildup of any myriad of things that could, you know, potentially make somebody sick. And we have to have really strict standards to make sure that there's nothing in our tanks or nothing anywhere in a hose or anything, any sort of bacteria that could get somebody sick. Yeah, So cleaning yeah. is a definite essential part of this, of this process.
0: Yeah, when I used to home brew, I used to only do it on Sundays because I was, it was like a little routine for me in the fall. I would watch football all day long and brew beer while I'm doing it because it took me the whole day when, it, you know, setting up and cleaning to begin with and then cleaning at the end, you know, just to get a five-gallon batch, it would take me the whole entire day.
1: That sounds like a great day, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the process of brewing beer isn't like, you know, making yourself some pasta or baking a cake. It's not a... uh you know, you make beer and then it's ready to go for you that night or ready to go in an hour. It's it's a labor of love. It's uh, you spend all day brewing and cleaning, like you said, and then you spend weeks, you know, checking on this beer during fermentation and making sure that things are going well and the beer is healthy and, you know, it's hitting the things that you want it to hit. And then, you know, the whole process of carbonating it and then packaging it, whether it's in your little pony keg or in bottles like people, were, you know, that homebrewers <laughs> will use, you know, it's, it's it's not a quick process. And sometimes, you know, I have this conversation with our distributors and they'll say, hey, inventory is really low. When am I getting more beer? It's like, it's not like going to the store and buying a box of cake mix and putting it in the oven. Right. You know, it, it, these things, you know, our beers, we say every beer is a four week turnaround for ales, six to, and that's eight weeks for loggers. So mm-hmm. it takes time if we, we can load it up, but it, it's not going to help, you know, not going to help put it out on any fires next week. Yeah.
0: So how big are your batches when you
1: said a four week? uh, So so our tank farm, we have a few different sized tanks. So we start off in a dual 30 barrel brew house so we can brew up to 60 barrels. Um, And then our tank farm, we have 30 barrel fermenters, 60 barrel fermenters, 80 barrel fermenters. And as I'm talking to you right now, I'm looking at 120 barrel fermenters being stood up in our brewery, which is a pretty nerve wracking process if you've ever seen it.
0: Wow. I've not seen your brewery, but I've seen other breweries. That, uh... Yeah,
1: seeing people. Uh, so these are brand new tanks. They just got off a freighter, came from overseas uh, this week. So wow. we're, we're standing these things up now and it's uh they're going all of 60, you know, 50, 60 feet in the air and trying to lean. These are maxing out the height of our building, that's for sure. And they're doing it around all of our other tanks. So as I'm sitting in our production office right now, kind of watching through the glass, it's it's a sight.
0: Hmm. So j- just so that if people don't know, so maybe my math is wrong, but a barrel, I believe, is two full kegs.
1: Right. So that would be Correct.
0: 30, 30 gallons, 31 gallons, 31 gallons, 31 gallons. That's a barrel.
1: OK, cool. And, and then in my language, also for ideal. So a, in a, a barrel of beers with the 31 gallons is 13.78 cases of beer, 12 oh, ounce cases. So that's how I have to kind of think in both worlds because I deal with production. So they like our production guys, they live in a barrel world whereas our wholesalers and accounts think in case worlds. So like a half barrel, like you mentioned is seven cases.
0: Okay. And that's seven cases of 12 ounce 24, 12 ounce. Correct. Correct. Um, uh, This is actually a good segue for that. So are you guys strictly cans now?
1: Yeah. So we got out of the uh, 22 ounce bomber or glass bottle market uh, probably four years ago, I think it switched to cans. It was before my arrival, but uh, the bomber market was where craft beer originated. With well, you know, that was where it was. It was the easiest method to get craft beer out. With mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of bottling lines. They were affordable. You could make it. You could make smaller bottling lines where you know you can start from a homebrew aspect, and then you could just scale up your bottling production as you grew. Whereas canning lines are a, a much more difficult investment to make. I mean, they're they're expensive. They're the price of a house, and you park it, and you, you know it's not not everybody can be able to do it. But luckily, uh, there's companies like Ironheart Canning, which uh, started out of our, our brewery. They rented a spot from us in our old facility, and now they're the largest mobile canning company on the East Coast, if not the entire United States. And they have crews set up all around the country.
0: Hmm. And you do all your canning right there on site too. On
1: site, yeah, we own our own canning line, um, and we have our own uh, part of our production team is a packaging crew. So we we package four to five days a week uh, every week, and we and these guys do ten to twelve hour days. I mean they they work long and they work hot and they work. These these guys are the real rock stars of the production team.
0: Oh yeah, I can I can imagine. Years ago, I was involved. I was an early investor. Do you remember? It's probably I'm trying to think how old you would have been. Actually, um, Nutfield Brewery. Absolutely. In, oh, do you know them? Okay, they're over in in Derry. Yep. And, um, they were like kind of before the wave, before the crack Correct. wave, and um,'m trying to think of the owner's name Jim uh Killeen or Kilkeen, something like that. uh he's since passed away, but yeah, I was a not a big investor, but um but I, I did invest in them when they opened up, and uh they didn't quite make it so so yeah, so we used to go down, we used to have our uh quarterly meetings over at the brewery, and it would be a ball.
1: I wish I uh, could have. Uh, I, I remember the name. I remember the packaging from when I was younger. I think it was just slightly before my time. But <laughs> obviously, being in Londonderry now, we have a lot of, you know, we hear about them all the time. And obviously, they were one of the original New Hampshire craft breweries. So, yep. you know, we we do we did a beer for the town of uh, Londonderry last last year. It was in, called Nutfield. Uh, the pale ale for their, I think it was their bicentennial or some event in that nature. Um, and it was just kind of, you know, not an ode to the brewery, but it was cool to see that name kind of come back in some in some aspect.
0: Yeah, that was in, that's interesting you say that because I remember when um, uh, when they closed shop, they sold the brand to I think it was shipyard. It was either shipyard or Smutty knows. I think okay. it was shipyard. And um, I and you know they never used it that I know of, uh, but it, you obviously had. Um, permission to use the name so that's it must have somehow got transferred back
1: i you know i don't even know if we got permission we just the town of london (laughs) so the original town of londonderry was called was called nutfield so that's why i assume that's where nutfield the brewery got their name from and we just wanted to do a beer for the bicentennial in the town i think it was their chamber uh they kind of presented us with their branding in the nutfield name and we we just executed it for them and we're glad to help
0: yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I still get a bunch of old bottles. Empty oh, that's awesome. I mean that I've got displayed on a shelf in my house.
1: And you talk about, you know, past craft breweries that have, you know, gone by the wayside, unfortunately. I mean, I remember when I first got into craft beer, Penachuck over in Milford. Oh yeah. Their yeah. engine number nine or whatever it was that I remember there, it was an Amber Ale. Uh, they had a barley wine that was fantastic. Uh, there, So that was one of my first craft breweries that I really got into because it was close to home for me
0: yeah i'm trying to remember the the gentleman that owned that he was a firefighter um
1: oh uh last name was jewett i believe yes
0: yes yes and he left town and um just i don't know what he did with his equipment but i can remember thinking to myself geez if i knew he was folding up shop i i would have considered going in on
1: it i think milford and i know now that another local uh pasta loft has now opened up their own space for brewing in in milford which i think is exciting i think milford's a town and that area as a whole really can support something like that and get behind it so i'm excited to see something like that i would be i would love to see more going in that area i mean selfishly so i have other local places i can go to yeah you know drink and try new beers and talk to people that are also into craft beer i mean that's part of the exciting thing for me
0: yeah. As you, you probably know, there's the new, it's not open yet, but they've been working on it for years, like over, well over a year, probably going on two years. Um, the old, uh, gas station, across from Postal loft, it's going to be union, uh, oh, union station is going to be
1: called. Yes. And, uh, the owner, Chip Pollard, uh, yep. great, yep. great individual. I remember him from my, uh, the days when I was working in restaurants, uh, I've since caught up with him a few different times. I really look forward to that going in there. That's going to be a fun spot, classic, you know, location, obviously on the Milford Oval. And I love yeah. how they're repurposing that space. I mean, it's been a ton of work for him. I've been watching the process. I can imagine from just what I've seen the process that the, the work that he's put into it. But I think uh, that'll be a, a really good spot, and I wish them luck. And I know I'll be there supporting them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that should be that. You know, he's been doing meticulously redoing that station. Uh, and I know he's actually having a sign built down at, um, the, there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with but there's actually a blacksmith in Milford down over in West Milford heading over towards Wilton. And uh, he's, and this blacksmith is making a
1: sign for him. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't wait to see the finished product.
0: Yep. And there's another brewery going in um, next, where the old Bravo's used to be. I think it's called Ogie's. Really? Yep. They, they, they tried to go in again, this was over a year ago. And they've been kind of stymied by some of the uh, business in the area didn't like. As, as you probably know, um, from a zoning point of view, uh, brewing beer is considered manufacturing. Correct. So um, they had to go before the zoning board and some of the surrounding businesses objected to the way he was going to vent his um you know the, the air, the steam, whatever, whatever. Always going to vent, and they were afraid that you know the neighborhood was going to smell like beer, which I think would be great myself.
1: We, you know, it's funny, a couple good things to bring up that you know the manufacturing aspect and then the smell. I mean, where we built our new facility uh, in Londonderry, they're building all these beautiful condos, and this whole, this whole, the whole area that's being built up around our brewery. So they, Londonderry, didn't have a, a main street. So we are technically the first building on Main Street in Londonderry. We're sitting on six hundred and three acres and it's mm. called uh, Woodmont Commons. So it's mm. an old apple orchard that went dormant and uh, after apple trees go dormant for a certain amount of time they no longer can produce edible apples. So the town gave them the go ahead and there was this huge pro- uh, you know vision to create a downtown area, storefronts, you know, condos, uh, apartments and we are in this area and you know the I was talking to one of the developers that's putting up these buildings he's like we didn't think about the smell that comes out of the brewery and he's like until he's like, we started working on the building and you guys were in there brewing. And he's like, I love it. It smells like oatmeal. You know, right. the, the only, the, the smell that you're getting smells like nice, warm grain. And, you know, it, it's, it's, a, to me, it's a very pleasant smell, but I can, some people, you know, depending on the day, the person and the time, time of day, I, I'm sure some people might not be as, you know, pleased with, you know, smelling oatmeal or that, that scent all day long. Yeah. But um. manufacturing, that topic was another interesting thing, too. So technically, our license in New Hampshire, we are not a brewery. We are a beverage manufacturer. Mm. Once you hit a certain size in the state, you are no longer a, a brewery. You have to hit you have to re-register as a, as a beverage manufacturer. So it's just an interesting way that New Hampshire structures these things. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, they say, oh, you were a brewery. And like, yeah, but technically on paper, we're a, a beverage manufacturer. We can do any consumable liquid.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's weird because I happen to be on the planning board here in Milford and um, it's it's just strange when this Ogie guy came in and he wanted to do this brewery, this brewery at the, at the, uh, the old Bravo's, you know, they, I, I was surprised it even came to the planning board because, you know, well, going from a pizza, pizza place to a brewery doesn't seem that much of a change of use. No. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, then they told us, like, yeah, it's, it's a ma- it's a change to manufacturing, like manufacturing.
1: <laughs> interesting. I, I never, you know, I, I didn't realize it for a restaurant size, but it, may, it makes, it, it does make sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems more like a bakery to me. It's, yeah.
1: Correct. Yep. Right, I mean, same, I mean, same ingredients. Yeah.
0: So, so that's interesting. Um, oh, cool. So let's, uh, I, I, let, let's get back to the, the history of 603 because I, I wanted to get to that too. So. Just give me a little brief history on how long it's been around, how it started.
1: So our brewery was founded by uh three college friends, uh Jeff Hughes, his wife Tamsin Hughes, and their friend Dan Leonard. All three of them met attending UMass Dartmouth uh and uh all were going for engineering. And mm-hmm. after college they kind of, you know, remained friends, remained close and all started off on their own unique career paths uh uh, J- uh, Dan went into a water treatment and it was actually running the town of Meredith's water department. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff went off to do engineering operations and was traveling uh, internationally to China for his company all the time. And Tamsin uh, owns a retail, a retail store in Cuddyhunk Island. So she was running that uh, as well as working. Uh, she comes from a family of entrepreneurs as well. So she was um, involved in the family business and their their, their businesses and then dan and jeff somehow got on you know the home brewing kick and we actually started our first space was uh eight years ago up in campton new hampshire so right up in the valley uh right up in waterville valley they started mm-hmm. you know home brewing had a small spot next to a daycare believe it or not um once and they were up there and once they started looking for you know they were doing small small batches and you know they had a small tap room and then started self-distributing where you know. They do it. They brew beer on the weekends. And then Jeff would deliver beer, you know, when he, you know, after his normal work day, you know, he'd go around to accounts in the area and kind of deliver beer to some stores and some you know, places like that. And then once they outgrew the space up in Campton, they looked for they were looking for another spot to grow in New Hampshire and Londonderry was at the time really looking for, to have a, having a brewery, another brewery back in town. Um, obviously, with the history of Nutfield being in the area, they knew the benefits of people coming in here and, you know, the you know the attraction that there is to that. So Londonderry kind of went to bat and said, you know, we really want you down here. So we decided to move our whole facility and uh, operation down to Londonderry. We outgrew that spot uh, last year. We uh, we outgrew that spot quickly. And then last year, we finally opened up our brand new 20,000 square foot uh, facility here at Woodmont Commons in Londonderry.
0: Oh, that's cool. So, um, let me think. Obviously, the elephant in the room is all this COVID stuff. But b- before the before this COVID hit, how was six hundred three doing market share, and and w- w- how was the business doing?
1: We're we've been very fortunate in the past. You know, we've been very fortunate as a brand as a whole ever since our ever since we started. We've always experienced growth year over year. Um, last year was another great year. Uh, this year was shaping up to be a banner year. And then obviously with COVID hit and now it's just, you know, it's, we're still, still doing well. Obviously our, our, our business plan and the way our model is, you know, selling beer through distribution and grocery chain accounts, as well as, you know, as well as the bars. So Mm -hmm. when bars shut down, all we would, all we did was repurpose the liquid that we were going to put in kegs and reallocate that to putting it in 12 packs and six packs and things Mm -hmm. like that. And sending it into stores like market basket and Hannaford, because they were experiencing all time, high sales for packaged beer
0: okay so is your your distribution down is it consistent
1: i mean our points of distribution obviously with uh, the amount of the bars not being open we're down on on-premise numbers for bars and restaurants just for the mere fact that the places that are open most aren't filling every tap line right. um uh but all things considered you know we're still experiencing growth for the year and just in a year where we're just trying to survive and get through it so um, oh, that's great. Very fortunate. Again, that's par- being the model we had is proved to be beneficial in a in a setting like today's you know that we have today.
0: Right. But you you just opened up a new restaurant, right? When, when did
1: the restaurant open? So, uh, well, we try not to use the term restaurant. We go for okay. beer. No, and that's that's just our. We don't want to compete with our other restaurants. So okay. we saw this concept. Uh, our owners and our marketing director did a bunch of traveling out west uh when they were looking at concepts for a restaurant beer hall tap room when we were looking into the facility and we saw these communal tables out west you know counter service models and we thought you know that's really cool because everybody it brings people together you can find an open seat you don't feel like you're rushed with you know at you know a server checking on you every five minutes things like that you can kind of just go go about your leisure and hang out and have a good time Mm -hmm. so we did the whole um uh Counter service model where you walk in, order a beer. If you want some food, you can. You get a number, and the number t- lets our food runners know where you're sitting. But you're free to move about the. You know we have a quite a large indoor space as well as an outdoor patio, so we can fit two hundred seats uh, under normal circumstances uh, in our, in our beer hall and patio combined. Now we also have a beer lot that added a hundred seats. Just you know we did that uh, mm-hmm. because of COVID and having to social distance because. With everything, uh, it cut our capacity from 200 to a right about 100. Obviously, so people could you know come here safely and social distance. Um, but adding the tent in our beer lot has helped uh, that a little bit. So.
0: Oh great! Great. So so um, but you did shut. Well, everybody we did. shut down. So yeah, you had to shut down for a while. And,
1: and our our staff, our our front of the house, our beer hall uh, staff, and our kitchen, they did a great job with shifting from you know, food service, the takeout model, really quickly developing a completely new menu um, for, it's almost like taking bake meals or, you know, prepared meals that you could reheat if you wanted to. Um, uh, pizzas that you could buy, that you could buy, that you would send, we'd set you up with a dough, the sauce, the toppings, and you could go home, make the roll, the dough, make the pizza yourself, put it in the oven. So we, they, our staff did a really nice job with a, switching over the and pivoting on a dime and switching our model to a full takeout when we had to.
0: Oh, that's a, that's a cool idea. You, you think many of these things will stick around?
1: I think honestly, I think the one thing that's going to stick around is uh, a lot of breweries uh, went to uh curbside pickup for beer, which is, you know, not, a th- mm-hmm. never been, there's a lot of things that weren't, le- not necessarily legal in New Hampshire, but that, yeah, I mean, people weren't mm-hmm. doing, it was the curbside pickup. It was, uh, Breweries being able to deliver their own beer uh, to people's houses, things like that, which is not legal prior to COVID. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see if the state allows these breweries to continue. I mean, a lot of them have it's proven to be a very successful model for them. We never did the delivery service here, um, but I know a lot of breweries that have been able to sustain their business based on that on the what they're bringing in from delivering. So I hope for breweries like them, they can continue to do that and whatever can keep everybody and just get them through this year.
0: You, are, are are a lot of the other breweries uh, similar situation to you they, they are getting by in, in general? I, I think, think?
1: It's a, I think it's a case- by- case basis and I think it depends on the, the particular model that breweries have. I know that um, I know that some breweries that weren't distributing have since uh, looked for distribution to help mm-hmm. uh, you know re- regain some of the volume that they were losing by not having the, the draft sales in-house in their tap rooms. Um, but it's, I, I think a lot, you know, I hope a lot of the breweries, you know, have been able to, you know, survive. And I think there's still a, a good amount that are experiencing some growth, you know, this year and in, in a year where, like I said, it's just all about just trying to get through it and making sure you can keep your employees paid and making sure, right. you know, we all have jobs to come back to and just trying to get through it. Well, well, I'm doing my part to drink a lot. No, more. I appreciate that. That's what I always say. I mean, everyone's like. <laughs> I was like, I just bought a six pack. I said, thanks for keeping me employed. I keep it going.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, um, so let's see, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you guys offer for styles and that sort, but m- maybe a, a way to start that is kind of like with a, maybe a craft beer one-on-one kind of thing. Sure. So what, what are the major styles of beer, at least, at least in America?
1: I guess. Well, for, for major styles overall for beer as entirety is, you know, the, uh, the domestics obviously win overall your, uh, Bud Light, Miller, Miller Lite, Coors Light. Those are still the number one segment for a beer, uh, craft beer. If you want to talk about craft beer, IPAs rule the world. Um, mm-hmm. seems like you know, people can't get enough of them right now. Um, I think there's a big market for, you know, obviously the, uh, some of the pastry, uh, sweetened adjunct Porter stouts, uh, sours have uh made a strong pull these days and now craft loggers are really starting to come up too with breweries like Jack's Abbey, who's making phenomenal loggers down in Mass. Um I think there's there's a ton of different styles and it's kind of there's no limitations when you're a craft brewery. If you think of something a kind of a hybrid style uh I think you know it it you can the world is your oyster, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. So so uh, what what's the major difference between a, an ale and a lager?
1: for instance? Uh, so it's uh for, for you know it depends on who you're asking and what what they want to define but it's for me it's it's time in the tank you know it's okay. Uh, you know it's cold fermentation versus uh, a warmer ferment I don't want to say hot fermentation but it's uh you, you, loggers take longer to ferment in the tank uh and uh it's um, a little people say it's a cleaner finish uh and, you know mm-hmm. which all depends on the logger too and the style logger cuz logger's just i mean you could have dunkels you can have you know, fest beers, there's right. Vienna lagers, there's so many different... So lager is just the general overall style, you know, but not the specific style. But I think it's all cold versus warm fermentation is really the the short answer.
0: Yep. Now I'm trying to think back to my homebrew days. Isn't, maybe it's not lagering that I'm thinking of, but um, doesn't one style have the hop the, like one? The, the hops float on the top and the hops sink to the bottom well, in different styles. They, they,
1: you can also say top fermenting versus top uh, fermenting. bottom fermenting, which is ales versus yeast. So, like, lagers would be, you know, uh, bottom fermenting, ales would be top fermenting.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Um, yeah. I'm just talking personally here. I'm, I'm in the minority. I'm not a huge fan. I consider myself a, a, a uh, big beer drinker okay i I how to say that without sounding too bad i i I love beer um i'm not a big ipa fan because and i'm clearly in the minority but i don't like these heavy bitter and maybe maybe that's just because i don't think there's anything about an ale that specifically says bitter no but most most of them are nowadays the ipas are you know like the the bitterer the better which i don't personally understand
1: so i think you're absolutely right with uh ipa started off as an assertively uh they were aggressively hopped which gave it a you know a more bitter flavor profile and that was your english style bitters your english ipas then it went to your west coast ipas which you're right they were trying to kill everybody with ibus and bitterness and Mm -hmm. now the whole twist on it is you know the new fat is the new England style IPA. And it's a, that's a huge chunk of the IPA market. And what the new England style IPAs have done is removed the bittering hops and made them all into nice citrusy and tropical fruited uh, aromas and, and flavor profiles of their hops. So now all the IPAs that, you know, things used to be coming in at 80, 90, you know, even 60, 70, 80, 90 IBUs for IPAs. Now these IPAs, like we're, we're making IPAs that are coming in at 37, you know, 35. Okay. So the it's, I always tell people, you know, what don't you like about IPAs? And again, the answer is like, if they're too bitter or something like that, I say try a new, a nice new England style IPA. They're very easy drinkable. They have similar characteristics to Belgian whites where they mm-hmm. add flaked oats into the, into the grain bill. So you get the softer mouth feel and then mm-hmm. the hops that they're using, as opposed to being aggressively bitter, they're nice and refreshing citrus and tropical fruit notes. Right. Right. But
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm the same way. Cause I like to, if I'm going to sit out in my backyard and, you know have, drink a six pack you know some of those uh, heavily bittered hopped ipas you can't drink six of them no and
1: in and your, and your your palate just gets so fatigued from it yeah it,
0: so you know that's that's where you know You know, it's probably a swear word in your industry, but that's where the Bud Lights and the Coors Lights come in, where, you know, they're very drinkable, at least from a volume point of view.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, there's there's one thing that, you know, a lot of the people in the industry, like, and even not even even the industry, but there's a lot of consumers that have this preconceived notion that, you know, I love craft beer, so I have to hate the big guys. And that's really not my mentality on how things go, uh, you know. Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light, AB Miller, Coors—they've all kind of paved the way and made these extremely drinkable beers. And the thing that blows me away about them is their quality and their consistency. You can oh, yeah. you can drink a Bud Light in America and you can drink a Bud Light in Japan, and those two beers, t- I've coming out of two different facilities, taste exactly the same. And you never have a Bud Light that's different from the batch before. Same with Coors Light. You know, it's they 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 do what they do extremely well, and I you know I have nothing but respect, and I I see the the absolute place in the market for these, you know, for their styles, you know? Mm -hmm. And whereas a lot of the craft brews, it's almost a faux pas to, you know, oh, why are you drinking a Bud Light? And, you know, it's every beer has, I always say I'm a craft beer geek, not a craft beer snob. Every beer has a time and place, you know, put a Bud Light in my hand when it's a hot summer day, out on a golf course, out on a boat, I'm watching a football game, whatever it is, I'm happier than anybody. Right. So as long as it's a beer, as long as I got a beer, I'm good. I don't care what it is.
0: I agree. And my favorite beer from you guys, although maybe you have a, a, some newer ones I'm not aware of, but I, I've always loved your, is is it the New Hampshire ale or American ale? Well, or did you Hampshire, change
1: the name or something? New Hampshire American ale. So we've. Still, oh, it's both in it. Okay. Yeah. So we've since discontinued that brand for distribution. Oh no. Yeah. So it, 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 that was our Budweiser. So that was the yeah. intention of that beer. We wanted a fizzy golden liquid that was extremely drinkable, Um, not intrusive on your palate that you could, it was a, it was a six pack or 12 pack beer. That was a beer that you could have. And it, you know, it it was just, it was beer flavored beer, nothing, no frills about it. And that was what was so great about it. Unfortunately, it wasn't performing in market um, how we had hoped, obviously, you know, it's tough to compete with the ABs and Miller cores with those styles. Right. Um, So we replaced it in market with a a newer beer that we, that's uh, since then, but we do keep the NHL around at the brewery from time to time, like as for example, we have some here right now because we do make a a beer called Apple Ale, which is a kind of an ode, you know, with something we've been doing for a while. But now, especially being on an old apple orchard, has a lot of resonance with us, All right. uh, and it does really well out of our tap room. So when we do a batch of New Hampshire Ale, uh, we we make that base beer and make Apple Ale from it. So we'll oh. run we'll run some cans every now and again of NHL for the c- customers that really like that, and they just have to come into the brewery and get it when we've got it.
0: So if if so if I liked the New Hampshire Ale, what would
1: you recommend for me? Uh, it, when I it's, when it's, I get out of the beer store this afternoon, I would say anything light and drinkable, Jacks Abbey, uh, and, and they're they're healthy. I mean, from you, I mean oh, from you. us. Oh, I, yeah. I for, so we don't have anything similar to that style currently in market. Uh, we have uh, we've done a couple loggers. We have one. Of, uh, You know they're not available through distribution, but at our brewery right now we have a beer called Commons Crusher. So it's a a light, light, uh, light lager. So it's uh, I believe it's only two carbs and about 100 calories per serving size. So that's our answer to that. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have uh, another beer called Czech Skin, which is a Czech top Mexican lager. Um, We did send a little bit of Czech Skin through distribution before, um, but not this turn this time around. But uh, our lightest, easiest drinker for beers that are available in market would probably be our Scenic Session, which is a New England style session IPA. Um, yep. Again, it's, uh, thir- I think it's 33 IBUs on that, very low in bitterness, very high in tropical and citrus notes. Um, nice. Uh, but yeah, so unfortunately, when we got rid of the NHL, we didn't have a direct equivalent to replace that style with liquid. Um, and then I did have a, you know, obviously I had accounts that were pouring NHL, and they were like, well, what should I pour? You know, and that's why I always go to, you know, Jack's Abbey's always been good, good to us, and I think they do the, yep. the lager style amazing. So I, yeah, I, their, I was,
0: their house is it house ale, house, house, lager. Lager, house lager,
1: Their post shift pilsner is an unbelievable beer. Um, so I, I always like to just recommend those guys. So whenever I get those questions, hey, I liked your NHL. What do I go for? I always like to, you know, turn people over to them if they hadn't experienced them before. So.
0: So, what's your best seller?
1: Our best seller. This is a, a, a new thing. So, Winnie Amber Ale had been our best seller in our flagship mm-hmm. since we started. So, it, it had a nice run, but our Scenic Session just passed it this year.
0: Oh, nice.
1: So, Scenic Session was the beer we replaced uh, New Hampshire Ale with. Uh, no, incorrect. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, we replaced our 18 Mile Ale, which is another one with Scenic Session. Uh, NHL, we discontinued for a seasonal beer. Huh. Um,
0: i'm gonna try the scenic session i don't think i've had that yet i don't
1: think well give it a shot nice bright orange package on it it's uh it's nice and loud on the shelves kind of disruptive which is what we've wanted just for it to pop on the shelves amidst that all the cans that are there these days um you you
0: mentioned the winnie ale Uh, again i don't know whether this is psychological or not but i'd love that on tap that several places here in town 603 grill here in milford has it on tap and I and I always get it. But when I go and get a six pack and, and it does doesn't do it for me, I don't know why. It's,
1: it's, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday who uh, he he's a gentleman that's always coming to the brewery and he always filled growlers of uh, of our Winnie. That's the only way he wanted it was a growler fill. And mm. obviously growlers have a very, you know, short lifespan on them because it's sitting and it's not really a sealed package. So he's like, you know, when COVID hit, I started just buying the 12 packs at the store. And I, he's like, I don't know why I ever had an issue with the cans before. He's like, it tastes exactly the same. And I said, a lot of it has to do with perception. A draft mm-hmm. beer, there's, I am a sucker for a good draft beer. And I, there's just something about, for me, even a nice cold glass, a nice draft beer. I love it. Mm-hmm. The can doesn't always replace that for me. Um, mm-hmm. but we package the beer the same way. The carbonation is the same. It's, and that's what I was telling him. It's, it's the same exact liquid and it's just, but it's, it uh, has a lot to do with your perception.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For but sure.
1: Winnie, our, our Winnie is a great food beer. It does great at restaurants. It's a great, you know, it's a big Amber ale, you know, we've entered that in competitions and we're always, we always get the feedback. It's you know, disqualified, not true to style in which it's not. It's a, it's an tech, we, we classify it as an Amber ale but the ABV is so high on it that it's not it's it's out of the the respected range for amber ales.
0: Interesting. Do you know if head what the IBUs are on that
1: one? Uh Winnie's probably coming in. I'm I'm taking a shot in the dark somewhere around 48 to 55 okay. around there. I'd have to I'm going to have to check myself, but that's where I'm guessing.
0: Okay. I'm just just curious. Yeah. So, all right, that's great. So what uh what what's up with all these hard seltzers?
1: Ah, so funny we just entered the seltzer game but and i can yeah, only I tell you where where we came from is we saw the need personally from our from myself one of our owners and then our staff um they're they're coming from everywhere and i think a lot of it's a money grab for you know it's the the market on f on fmbs fl, fl, uh, uh, flavored malt beverages has skyrocketed over the past three years
0: is that is that what they are flavored,
1: flavored yeah malt? yeah so flavored Sorry. malt beverages so Um, The process is very similar to beer where you're brewing a a base liquid and then you filter, you use high, you know, high powered filters that strip the color from the liquid um, and just leave you with a tasteless, blank, clear 5% or whatever percent ABV that you want liquid that you can add whatever flavorings. Okay, Um,
0: So it is brewed. Correct.
1: Uh, There's also another. uh, But in this FMB segment, there's also places that are going more craft cocktail route. There's a brand, uh, obviously canteen that's come out now that's make making vodka sodas. Absolute has come out with a vodka soda in the can. Uh, mm-hmm. Smirnoff has the vodka soda in the can. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's a growing segment. And for us, we kind of, you know, I use the term palate fatigue. You know, I, we're, we're equal opportunity drinkers here at 603 as much as we love beer. And that's our passion. We're also lovers of spirits. We're lovers of wine. We're lover of good drink. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes a beer isn't what you're looking for. And when we started having, I, I noticed it myself with my wife and then one of our owners started noticing it that he was going, you know, he would be at a party and somebody would be drinking a seltzer. So he'd try it and then, then you just get yourself craving it every now and again. You're like, I just don't feel a beer. Like, you know, yep. eight, eight years ago for me, that's how I used cider. I was like, you mm-hmm. know, I'm tired of beer. Let me, let me grab a good cider. Uh, so I would do that. I think seltzers nowadays with people being more health conscious, they're lowering calorie, um, it's, you know, it's an unintrusive flavor profile, nice and refreshing. Mm -hmm. I think that we saw the need from it because we were gravitating towards them in in different situations. And with the health conscious aspects of it, and I think as with people in society as a whole being more health conscious now, uh, than maybe they were, you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, I think that, you know, there was a definite need. And I look at some of these, you know, I love my adjunct porters and stouts, but when they come in at, you know, 400 calories a serving, you can't have too many of those and try to try to maintain the figure as we get older. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So, oh, so I didn't realize those were actually uh, malted. So that's, so, so it's probably similar. Do you remember the old Zima? I don't of know. Of course.
1: I oh yeah. So uh, absolutely. And Zima made a comeback the past couple of years. Oh really? It's still around? I didn't even know that. I don't know if it came back this season, but two years ago, it made a big splash and came back for the first time in however long. And then I think they did another release last summer, and I think it was a bit quieter as far as the sales were on it. Um, but I don't know if they did it again this year, if they just said, you know, let's not go to the well one too many times. Let's keep this just a an occasional once every few years drop and keep people yeah. excited about it. So that's
0: similar because that, that was a, a brood. Correct. Thing, yeah. I believe. So. Mm-hmm.
1: And they just strip you again, those those high resin filters just strip the color and flavor from it. So you're left with a, a, a liquid that you can pretty much do with, with what you want. The issue is, you know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, a lot of these seltzers, especially at the, uh the, you know, when the smaller level guys, you know, such as us and other craft brewers try to start making them, is you still get that malt backbone to it, which doesn't leave the clean finish. So it's really tough. Right. That's the tough part is to re- remove that base and make it a very clean base liquid that doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> So that way you can add your lemon or you know lime or grapefruit whatever you want to make it give it that flavor profile and not have the multi finish to it.
0: Yep, yep. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that that kind of took at least took me by storm. I was at uh, was it last year or two years ago? Was it up? I went to UNH and um, went up to homecoming one year and I was you know walking into the tailgating the pit where all the students are back there and and I just everyone was drinking white claw yeah and i'm like what the hell's that
1: there's th- there's another great company that was formed from unh grads called noca which is a, a non-carbonated uh alcoholic water oh. so those guys just came out a few years ago i believe they're producing their liquid out of baltimore or somewhere in maryland but uh that's been a big hit uh i think for a lot of people too it's it's i, I for me it'd be too dangerous i mean i can drink water pretty quickly and just
0: <laughs> add, add
1: some flavor and alcohol to it and I w- i would be the tasmanian devil in no time
0: yeah. That's, that's, uh
1: that's probably
0: not a good idea. I agree. So, all right. The, the one last thing I did want to talk to you about a little bit is, is beer festivals and, and I'm coming to you from us from a uh, selfish perspective. um, Because as we discussed earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the Milford Rotary and when we run this uh, beer tent every year for the, at the pumpkin festival, obviously we're not doing it this year. At least we're not doing the physical thing. Yeah. What, what, have you guys been participating in any of these virtual beer fests I've seen advertised? What, what's going on now in that area? Anything?
1: We did one virtual beer fest for the New Hampshire Brewers Association. Uh, they they always do a, an actual festival every year. And because we couldn't do it, they decided to go to a, a virtual format and it was, it was fun. It was, it was different. It was, a, it's, it's going to take a lot of trial and error to, to really figure these things out. And mm-hmm. it's, I don't know how you get the same vibe and feeling um, with your customer virtually that you do, that you can get in person. So um, the one
0: you did participate in, what did you do? What was it?
1: Oh We actually just, uh, I believe we did a video for it, kind of, you know, some okay. people are just doing. And I've done uh, virtual tastings for other stores, too, where I'll, I'll film a segment of me going through beers and send them that, that they can post on their social medias and then kind of do something fun. And I've done live streams where I've done tastings where people can go into a store, buy a few six packs or buy a few individual cans. And then we'll all go on a zoom and I'll walk through the style, the beer itself, kind of talk about its composition. And Mm -hmm. um, those have been, it's, they're a lot of fun. It's just hard to get everybody to interact. And also it's hard to get everybody to be able to, communicate and ask the questions that they want to ask because right. the great thing about a festival is you walk up to a brewery you might get 30 seconds to a minute to kind of ask questions and talk about a story of you know where you first had the brand or like something that you really liked that they did and kind of give some feedback and mm-hmm. with the virtual festivals when you have 150 200 people in a zoom room no it's a, it's a lot of chaos of people talking over each other and no one can kind of get their word in um, right I think it's I think it's a something that it's a medium that can work. I just don't know how to make it work successfully yet. I think it's just going to take some ironing out and some playing around with.
0: Yeah, because that's all those things you said, those are exactly what we're talking about. You know, we because you know, we are a nonprofit and it's a fundraiser for us. So it's it's different, you know, a lot of these beer fests as obviously as you know, they're actually commercial events. Endeavors where where they make a lot of money at these. You know, we we turn all our money around. You know, give give it back to the community. So, so we're we're only going to do this if we can. You know, make a little bit somehow, make some money out of it, so that we can
1: correct. You don't want
0: to give it back to, to the community. So we're we're trying to figure out how we can do kind of what you just said, some kind of virtual beer tasting stuff, and still you can always ask for donations. One thing we thought about doing, and I'm not sure whether you know, we can even legally do this with the, with our liquor license. We probably can. I don't know. We're thinking of, you know, maybe we pick six local brewers and make our own little festival six pack, you know, one beer from you guys, one beer from Smutty, one beer from whoever, and then, you know, sell them or maybe even auction them or do something online to kind of pull in some revenue.
1: Um, I think that's a great, you know, that sounds like a great idea. And it's, you know, I don't, again, I don't know the legalities on how you can, if you can do that, but I mean, if there's a way to get it done, I think that's a good way to make it interactive. Um, I wish there was a way to do a socially distanced beer fest where you could still do the festival. Um, Mm -hmm. And then people could sample and you could, they could, you know, breweries could, you know, be there and, you know, represent, but how do you do that safely right now? And I think, you know, I I think that's honestly the most impactful way is if once, instead of the virtual thing is figuring out how to do a festival socially distanced and then, and I don't know how to execute that quite yet, but it's it's something that we're working on firsthand because we've always loves doing big events at our brewery. Uh, we usually mm-hmm. do a fall fest and then we do a big event for six zero three day. We do yoga you know here we've done a bunch of different, we do you know we've done we we'll have dJs we have live bands, so we're trying to figure out how can we be responsible, but also give people a little bit of normalcy you know, yeah, I know. you don't want to you don't want to try to in- incentivize people to come out in, in large groups. Um, but you want to be able to offer something fun for for everybody to do that gives it, breaks up the monotony that we've had the past four months. Yeah,
0: yep, that's exactly what we're going through right now, trying to figure out how to do it. And you know, obviously, you've got the liability issues and insurance, and it's it's a nightmare right now.
1: Well, I, I wish you luck. If I can help in any way, obviously, I use me as a resource. I'm I'm always involved. That, like I said, I'm a community guy, born and raised in Milford, so.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe we might be in touch to, to talk about these kind of things.
1: That would be great.
0: That would be awesome. All right. So this, this was actually fun. I had a, I had a good time. I learned a lot. Is um, any, anything that we didn't cover that you think you would want to
1: uh, discuss? I'm trying to think, I mean, not that that's, I mean, I'm sure the second we end, I'll think of something, but yeah, off the top of my head, nothing alarming. We kind of covered the basis of where we started, you know, a little bit on where we are, where we're, I, we didn't touch on where we're going, but I don't know. You know, it's kind of like we're, that's what we're trying to figure out every day. Uh, so
0: the brew, the, the brew house, that's what you're calling it, right? A brew house, beer hall, beer hall. Yeah. Beer,
1: so the beer hall is open. The beer hall is open uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, we open noon to 8 p.m. I believe maybe a little bit later, Friday, Saturday. I always say defer to the website before, you know, before you come out here because you never know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but open, you know, we to the public. Uh, we, you know, we have some. You know, we have some things in place where we ask that people wear a mask when they're up at the counter ordering, uh, wearing a mask when they're on their way to the restroom and when they're up moving if they want to move table to table. I don't even know if they can. I think we're assigning people tables right now because we have to make sure they're sanitized. Mm-hmm. We have, we're you know, we're trying to do business as usual here, but uh but safely. Um, letting people come in, you know, order their beers, enjoy, you know, socialize with a couple friends. I think we're we're keeping tables to six or under. Um mm-hmm. Uh again just trying to be as responsible as we can, you know.
0: And, what what about the brewery? Are you open for tours or anything of that sort?
1: Uh no, our, our production facility is closed off to the public currently, uh, even to our even to our staff. Um okay. we run such a lean uh lean crew here with our with our production and, and brewing team that we've uh made it, you know, we've minimized any need for our front of house staff to ha- come back on our production floor. Um and we've uh, kind of just let our brewers kind of you know everybody has to wear a mask in the front when they're here but our brewers and office team we kind of segregated together as you know we are all you know under one roof and we've developed a lot of policies like we have a whole mask matrix on where you have to wear a mask in here if there's somebody was if somebody comes back with a positive test what happens to that department they work in just out of utter caution so our production staff and our our office staff are all one team on paper so You know, we all, you know, our brewers have been great about, they're not going out anywhere when they leave the brewery. They're kind of, you know, they'll hang out with each other. They'll go, you know, rafting or kayaking or, you know, uh, playing disc golf, things like outdoors situations, Mm -hmm. but they're not around the general public. So we let the, we let the uh, brewers kind of go, you know, unmasked while they're back here working because it's already so hot. They're dealing with, you know, boiling water all day and it's, And and it's, it's, you know, especially when we had a heat wave, like last week, it's 85 to 90 degrees on our production floor. So having having to wear a mask on that would just cause heat stroke, things like that, it would just really not be good for their health. So they're just trying, trying to be as smart as we can. So we're eliminating anybody coming on the production floor for tours, uh, deliveries, things like that, just kind of keeping this a quarantined area. Makes a lot of sense. Trying to just make, you know, it's, it's every day is a new challenge and it's just trying to be as smart as we can and, you know, navigate the channels as, as they come across. Yeah. And
0: hopefully the lights at the end of the
1: tunnel. That's when I'm, I got my fingers crossed. I, I know everybody else does you know, primarily selfishly for football. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> see, I'm, I'm excited for sports to come back. It's great to see the Bruins on last night, but uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's it's tough. I'm 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 not optimistic about football. No, I don't. I'm I I, I mean, I'm a big baseball guy, and uh, I was so excited last week when it started. But God, that didn't no. didn't take long for that to kind
1: of hit the fan. Oh, no, and, and the Red Sox aren't doing as hot as I'd like them to do either. So no, well they they, they won last night.
0: So by the
1: end of that. That was a good. That was a good so- win.
0: So tonight to the Yankees tonight. So I'm going to go pick up a six pack, a session of scenic session and watch the Yankees. tonight.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. You'll have to let me know what you think. I will definitely do that. Awesome. All right.
0: So good. So this is a good time to wrap up. Thanks again. Um, Tim, PJ. thank you. I really appreciated. It. Uh, this was, this was a lot of fun, actually. I I, I enjoyed it.
1: I did too. I, I always have fun with things like this and I appreciate, you know, you taking the time and getting to chat about 603 and our stuff and, you know. Look forward to crossing paths soon, and hopefully I can help with Pumpkin Fest in some way.
0: Definitely. A- excellent. All right, so uh, thank you uh, to everyone for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this discussion, and maybe uh, maybe we all learned a little bit about the craft brew uh, business. Our theme music today for this episode was written and performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, google podcasts are on most major podcasting apps you can also stream directly from our website at granitetalk.com as always we welcome any and all feedback or suggestions you may have for future episodes we invite you to go to the granite talk facebook page at facebook.com slash thank you again for listening and we hope you join us again for another episode of granite talk